Chapter Ten, Part Two of Miss Map. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Map by E. F. Benson. Chapter Ten, Part Two. She managed to get a seat that commanded a full face view of the door, for the next thing was to see how the young couple, as she had already labelled them in her sarcastic mind, looked when they returned from their amorous excursion to the orchid that grew on the lawn. They entered, most unfortunately, while she was in the middle of playing a complicated hand, and her brain was so switched off from the play by their entrance that she completely lost the thread of what she was doing, and threw away two tricks that simply required to be gathered up by her but now lurked below Diva's elbow. What made it worse was that no trace of emotion, no heightened colour, no coy and downcast eye betrayed a hint of what had happened on the lawn. With brazen effrontery, Susan informed her daughter that Mr. Weiss thought a little leaf-mould, "'What a liar!' thought Miss Mapp, and triumphantly put her remaining trump on to her dummy's best card. Then she prepared to make the best of it. "'We've lost three, I'm afraid, Major Benji,' she said. "'Don't you think you overbid your hand just a little wee bit?' "'I don't know about that, Miss Elizabeth,' said the Major. "'If you hadn't let those two spades go, and hadn't trumped my best heart—' Miss Mapp interrupted with her famous patter. "'Oh, but if I'd taken the spades,' she said quickly, "'I should have had to lead up to David's clubs, and then they would have got in the rough and diamonds, and I should never have been able to get back into your hand again. Then at the end, if I hadn't trumped your heart, I should have had to lead the losing spade, and Diva would have over-trumped, and brought in her club, and we should have gone down two more. If you follow me, I think you'll agree that I was right to do that. But all good players overbid their hands sometimes, Major Benji. Such fun! The supper was unusually ostentatious, but Miss Mapp saw the reason for that. It was clear that Susan wanted to impress poor Mr. Weiss with her wealth, and probably when it came to settlements he would learn some very unpleasant news but there were agreeable little circumstances to temper her dislike of this extravagant display, for she was hungry, and Diva, always a gross feeder, spilt some hot chocolate sauce on the crimson lake, which, if indelible, might supply a solution to the problem of what was to be done now about her own frock. She kept an eye, too, on Captain Puffin, to see if he showed any signs of improvement in the direction she had indicated to him in her interview, and was rejoiced to see that one of these glances was clearly the cause of his refusing a second glass of port. He had already taken the stopper out of the decanter when their eyes met, and then he put it back in again. Improvement already! Everything else, pending the discovery as to whether chocolate on crimson lake spelt ruin, now faded into a middle distance, while the affairs of Susan and poor Mr. Weiss occupied the entire foreground of Miss Mapp's consciousness. Mean and cunning as Susan's conduct must have been in entrapping Mr. Weiss, when others had failed to gain his attention, Miss Mapp felt that it would be only prudent to continue on the most amicable of terms with her, for as future sister-in-law to a countess, and wife to the man who, by the mere exercise of his presence, could make Tillings sit up and behave, she would doubtless not hesitate about giving Miss Mapp some nasty ones back, if retaliation demanded. It was dreadful to think that this audacious climber was so soon to belong to the Wises of Whitchurch, but since the moonlight had revealed that such was Mr. Wise's intention, it was best to be friends with the mammon of the British Empire. Poppet come Wise was likely to be a very important centre of social life in Tilling, when not in Scotland, or Whitechurch, or Capri, 
and Miss Mapp wisely determined that even the announcement of the engagement should not induce her to give voice to the very proper sentiments which it could not help inspiring. After all she had done for Susan, in letting the door of high life in Tilling swing open for her, when she could not possibly keep it shut any longer, it seemed only natural that, if she only kept on good terms with her now, Susan would insist that her dear Elizabeth must be the first to be told of the engagement. This made her pause before adopting the obvious course of setting off immediately after breakfast next morning, and telling all her friends, under promise of secrecy, just what she had seen in the moonlight last night. Thrilling to the narrator as such an announcement would be, it would be even more thrilling, provided only that Susan had sufficient sense of decency to tell her of the engagement before anybody else, to hurry off to all the others and inform them that she had known of it ever since the night of the bridge-party. It was important, therefore, to be at home whenever there was the slightest chance of Susan coming round with her news, and Miss Mapp sat at her window the whole of that first morning, so as not to miss her, and hardly attended at all to the rest of the pageant of life that moved within the radius of her observation. Her heart beat fast when, about the middle of the morning, Mr. Weiss came round the dentist's corner, for it might be that the bashful Susan had sent him to make the announcement, but if so he was bashful too, for he walked by her house without pause. He looked rather worried, she thought, as well he might, and passing on, disappeared round the church corner, clearly on his way to his betrothed. He carried a square parcel in his hand, about as big as some jewel-case that might contain a tiara. Half an hour afterwards, however, he came back, still carrying the tiara. It occurred to her that the engagement might have been broken off. A little later, again with a quickened pulse, Miss Mapp saw the Royce lumber down from the church corner. It stopped at her house, and she caught a glimpse of sables within. This time she felt certain that Susan had come with her interesting news, and waited till Withers, having answered the door, came to inquire, no doubt, whether she would see Mrs. Poppet. But, alas, a minute later the Royce lumbered on, carrying the additional weight of the Christmas number of Punch, which Miss Mapp had borrowed last night, and had not, of course, had time to glance at yet. Anticipation is supposed to be pleasanter than any fulfilment, however agreeable, and if that is the case, Miss Mapp, during the next day or two, had more enjoyment than the announcement of fifty engagements could have given her, so constantly, when from the garden-room she heard the sound of the knocker on her front door, did she spring up in certainty that this was Susan, which it never was. But, however enjoyable it all might be, she appeared to herself at least to be suffering tortures of suspense, through which by degrees an idea, painful and revolting in the extreme, yet strangely exhilarating, began to insinuate itself into her mind. There seemed a deadly probability of the correctness of the conjecture, as the week went by without further confirmation of the kiss, for, after all, who knew anything about the character and antecedents of Susan? As for Mr. Weiss, was he not a constant visitor to the fierce and fickle South, whereas every one knew morality was wholly extinct? And how, if it was all too true, should Tilling treat this hitherto unprecedented situation? It was terrible to contemplate this moral upheaval, which might prove to be a social upheaval also. Time and again, as Miss Mapp vainly waited for news, she was within an ace of communicating her suspicions to the Padre. He ought to know, for Christmas, as was usual in December, was daily drawing nearer. There came, some half-way through that month, a dark and ominous afternoon, the rain falling sad and thick, and so unusual a density of cloud dwelling in the upper air that by three o'clock Miss Mapp was quite unable, 
until the street lamp at the corner was lit, to carry out the minor duty of keeping an eye on the houses of Captain Puffin and Major Benjy. The Royce had already lumbered by her door since lunchtime, but so dark was it that, peer as she might, it was lost in the gloom before it came to the dentist's corner, and Miss Mapp had to face the fact that she really did not know whether it had turned into the street where Susan's lover lived, or had gone straight on. It was easier to imagine the worst, and she had already pictured to herself a clandestine meeting between those passionate ones, who under cover of this darkness were imperviously concealed from any observation beneath an umbrella from her house-roof. Nothing but a powerful searchlight could reveal what was going on in the drawing-room window of Mr. Weiss's house, and apart from the fact that she had not got a powerful searchlight, it was strongly improbable that anything of a very intimate nature was going on there. It was not likely that they would choose the drawing-room window. She thought of calling on Mr. Weiss and asking for the loan of a book, so that she would see whether the sables were in the hall, but even then she would not really be much further on. Even as she considered this, a sea-mist began to creep through the street outside, and in a few minutes it was blotted from view. Nothing was visible, and nothing audible but the hissing of the shrouded rain. Suddenly, from close outside, came the sound of a door-knocker imperiously plied, which could be no other than her own. Only a telegram or some urgent errand could bring any one out on such a day, and, unable to bear the suspense of waiting till Withers had answered it, she hurried into the house to open the door herself. Was the news of the engagement coming to her at last? Late though it was, she would welcome it even now, for it would atone, in part, at any rate. It was Diva. "'Diva, dear,' said Miss Mapp enthusiastically, for Withers was already in the hall. "'How sweet of you to come round. Anything special?' "'Yes,' said Diva, opening her eyes very wide, and spreading a shower of moisture as she whisked off her Mackintosh. "'She's come.' This could not refer to Susan. "'Who?' asked Miss Mapp. Faradiddleoni said Diva. "'No!' said Miss Mapp, very loud, so much interested that she quite forgot to resent Diva's being the first to have the news. "'Let's have a comfortable cup of tea in the garden-room. Tea, Withers.' Miss Mapp lit the candles there, for lost in meditation she had been sitting in the dark, and with reckless hospitality poked the fire to make it blaze. "'Tell me all about it,' she said. "'That would be a treat for Diva, who was such a gossip.' "'Went to the station just now,' said Diva. "'Wanted a new time-table. "'Besides, the Royce had just gone down. "'Mr. Weiss and Susan on the platform.' "'Sables?' asked Miss Mapp parenthetically to complete the picture. "'Swaddled. Talked to them. "'Train came in. Woman got out. Kissed Mr. Weiss. "'Shook hands with Susan. Both hands. "'While luggage was got out.' "'Much?' asked Miss Mapp quickly. "'Hundreds. Covered with coronets and Fs. Two cabs.' Miss Mapp's mind, on a hot scent, went back to the previous telegraphic utterance. "'Both hands, did you say, dear?' she asked. "'Perhaps that's the Italian fashion.' "'Maybe. Then what else do you think? Farrah Didaloni kissed Susan. Mr. Weiss and she must be engaged. I can't account for it any other way. He must have written to tell his sister. Couldn't have told her then at the station. Must have been engaged some days, and we never knew. They went to look at the orchid, remember? That was when.' It was bitter, no doubt, but the bitterness could be transmuted into an amazing sweetness. "'Then now I can talk,' said Miss Mapp, with a sigh of great relief. "'Oh, it has been so hard keeping silence, but I felt I ought to. I knew all along, Diva dear, all, all along.' "'How?' asked Diva, with a fallen crest. Miss Mapp laughed merrily. 
"'I looked out of the window, dear, while you went for your hanky and peeped into dining-room and boudoir, didn't you? There they were on the lawn, and they kissed each other. So I said to myself, "'Dear Susan has got him. Perseverance rewarded.' "'Hm, only a guess of yours. Or did Susan tell you?' "'No, dear, she said nothing. But Susan was always secretive.' "'But they might not have been engaged at all,' said Diva, with a brightened eye. "'Man doesn't always marry a woman he kisses.' Diva had betrayed the lowness of her mind now by hazarding that which had for days dwelt in Miss Mapp's mind as almost certain. She drew in her breath with a hissing noise as if in pain. "'Darling, what a dreadful suggestion!' she said. "'No such idea ever occurred to me. Secretive I thought Susan might be, but immoral, never. I must forget you ever thought that. Let's talk about something less painful. Perhaps you would like to tell me more about the Contessa.' Diva had the grace to look ashamed of herself, and to take refuge in the new topic so thoughtfully suggested. "'Couldn't see clearly,' she said. "'So dark, but tall and lean. Sneezed.' "'That might happen to anybody, dear,' said Miss Mapp, "'whether tall or short. Nothing more?' "'An eyeglass,' said Diva, after a thought. "'A single one?' asked Miss Mapp. "'On a string? How strange for a woman!' That seemed positively the last atom of Diva's knowledge— and though Miss Mapp tried on the principles of psychoanalysis to disinter something she had forgotten, the catechism led to no results whatever. But Diva had evidently something else to say, for after finishing her tea she whizzed backwards and forwards from window to fireplace with little grunts and whistles, as was her habit when she was struggling with utterance. Long before it came out Miss Mapp had, of course, guessed what it was. No wonder Diva found difficulty in speaking of a matter in which she had behaved so deploredly, "'About that wretched dress,' she said at length. "'Got it stained with chocolate first time I wore it, "'and neither I nor Janet can get it out.' "'Hurrah!' thought Miss Mapp. "'Must have it dyed again,' continued Diva. "'Thought I'd better tell you, "'else you might have yours dyed the same colour as mine again. "'Kingfisher blue to crimson lake. "'All came out of vogue in Mrs. Trout. "'Rather funny, you know, but expensive. "'You should have seen your face, Elizabeth, "'when you came into Susan's the other night.' "'Should I, dearest?' said Miss Mapp, trembling violently. "'Yes. Wouldn't have gone home with you in the dark for anything. Murder.' "'Diva, dear,' said Miss Mapp anxiously, "'you've got a mind which likes to put the worst construction on everything. If Mr. Weiss kisses is intended, you think things too terrible for words. If I look surprised, you think I'm full of hatred and malice. Be more generous, dear. Don't put evil constructions on all you see.' "'Ho!' said Diva, with a world of meaning." "'I don't know what you intend to convey by ho,' said Miss Mapp, "'and I shan't try to guess. "'But be kinder, darling, and it will make you happier. "'Thinketh no evil, you know. "'Charity.' "'Diva felt that the limit of what was tolerable was reached "'when Elizabeth lectured her on the need of charity, "'and she would no doubt have explained tersely and unmistakably "'exactly what she meant by ho, "'had not Withers opportunely entered to clear away the tea. "'She brought a note with her, which Miss Mapp opened.' "'Encourage me to hope,' were the first words that met her eye. Mrs. Poppet had been encouraging him to hope again. "'To dine at Mr. Weiss's to-morrow,' she said. "'No doubt the announcement will be made then. "'He probably wrote it before he went to the station. "'Yes, a few friends. "'You going, dear?' Diva instantly got up. "'I think I'll run home and see,' she said. "'By the by, Elizabeth, what about the—the tea-gown, if I go? "'You or I?' "'If yours is all covered with chocolate, I shouldn't think you'd like to wear it,' said Miss Mapp. "'Could tuck it away,' said Diva, just for once. "'Put flowers. Then send it to Dyer's. You won't see it again. 
not Crimson Lake, I mean. Miss Mapp summoned the whole of her magnanimity. It had been put to a great strain already, and was tiring out, but it was capable of one more effort. "'Wear it, then,' she said. "'It'll be a treat to you. But let me know if you're not asked. I dare say Mr. Weiss will want to keep it very small. Good-bye, dear. I'm afraid you'll get very wet going home.'" End of chapter 10